Hello. Welcome to Good Morning America. Basically, we're just a tad. I know it's a little, little tight for two big boys, two, two big fellows. What do I say? What do I normally say? Hello. Welcome. <laughs> I haven't done this in a minute. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Gabe Alexander podcast with Gabe, of course, and my buddy Paul. I brought him in for a podcast because we always have great conversations, and um, yeah, I just wanted to record it. It's probably going to be a pretty long podcast, and we'll probably end up stopping and then just continuing our conversation. Like last night, this man came in at 1.30 in the morning, and uh, we just were talking, had some drinks, sat outside, and next thing I know, it's 6 in the morning. Yeah. So, And we still have more to talk about. That's why we're recording this. But uh, yeah, that's his little intro, and uh, if you can see, I upgraded my set just a little bit. I got a Zen dog over here meditating, and a uh, little fake terrarium, so hopefully that adds some ambiance. <laughs> but honestly, Paul, like, mm. yep. what am I saying? Um... I want, like, not now, of course, but eventually I'm going to have, like, nice microphones, like the DXLR cables. And yeah. Have, like, two, have that radio voice. It's going to be so nice. Oh, yeah. No, that <laughs> that nice little scruffiness where you just want to listen more. Yeah, that'll be really nice. But, you know, I, I got to be consistent with it before I spend, like, you know, 100 plus dollars on, like, one microphone. And then if I have somebody like you, like, if I only have the one, like, sure, we're working it here, but I want to have two for sure. Right, right, right. But they can't see it, but I got a rug under me now rugs are great anyway oh uh, yeah like i was saying i we just wanted to talk about stuff because i think it's an interesting conversation we always have great like history conversations philosophy conversation paul knows way too much about it and so <laughs> there's probably just going to be long periods of time and we're both just talking and the other one's listening but hope you guys enjoy i think where we were going to start off is last night or actually this morning we were talking about uh like morality in society and um religion like, because there's been a long kind of debate about can you have morality without religion? And on the surface level, it seems like a stupid question in a way. Like, of course you can. But, you know, like, I grew up not going to church, not really being religious, and I know what's, like, right from wrong. And I was just thinking about how, like, our society, obviously we have societal, societal morality of, like, we don't want kids to starve we don't want abusers we're not out here killing people right but i was just thinking that like our society was kind of built up a lot of societies are built up around religion like uh, even in the past a lot of the major cities were like religious headquarters in a way and um i don't know i think it's interesting kind of talking about it and paul you were saying some interesting stuff about um looking at nature and stuff you know you remember what you were saying about that because you can go on about that and then i wanted to i had a point that i thought about earlier that i wanted to say for the podcast yeah i would say the biggest thing or my biggest realization with religion is that even without god certain questions that are religious in nature theological in nature still dictate a massive part of our lives uh in the sense that no matter what you do i would say you have certain beliefs certain ways that you view the world so i guess a big one right now in a lot of debates in people's minds is the the nature versus nurture argument which in a way is a very theological concept because we can't ever know for sure on the other hand if you take the complete nurture point of view and you're a complete kind of constructivist you don't really think people have an inherent essence in any way well that's really going to shape how you think society should mold and create people how we should educate them uh, the values we give them why those values exist 
Whereas if you're someone who's more of like an essentialist, you're like, well, no, inherently people behave a certain way because maybe there is a human nature that exists inherently and that we bring that out and that there is a certain way people should behave that is true to that nature. And they're like, there's valid arguments on both sides, but like the key important thing, at least from a religious point of view, is that no matter what, whatever answer you have on that question dictates a lot of other thoughts you have like downstream. And a lot more complicated thoughts really require you to kind of know where you stand on that issue in order for you to make sense of a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. More specifically, this was a little off. That wasn't exactly what I was thinking about. But uh, okay, no, you get it because <laughs> that, that's a good point too. But uh, you were talking about like historically different, I guess, religious sects um, looked at like nature oh. for God. Yeah, I wanted to get into yes. that a little bit. Okay, um, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I really need to remember the guy the mongolian guy's name so islam for the majority of human history from the collapse of rome to the pre-renaissance was kind of the center of human learning Uh, you had massive advancements in algebra and geometry baghdad was a city of close to a million people with irrigation uh running plumbing they even had ice like that was for sale commercially for people to buy in the middle of the desert in an era way before refrigeration or even electricity and one of these things was that Muslims viewed God before the Muslim invasions as a rational being. After the Muslim invasions, and you had the complete collapse of civilization, not just the collapse of government, but farming and irrigation systems that have existed for thousands of years were destroyed. Because of the Mongols. Because of the Mongols, or because people died, and the people who had the knowledge to maintain those systems either fled or no longer existed, and just natural decay broke down everything that wasn't entirely burned down intentionally. Mm. But this led to a really big shift in like Islamic schools thought where God went from being a rational being to being an irrational being. And because of that, the way of looking at God and nature is that if you want to understand God and God is a rational being, then by understanding nature and the natural world, I can come to have a better understanding of God. I have come to a better understanding of myself and where my place is in the universe. Well, if you take the approach that God is fundamentally irrational, then you can't really look for explanations in the physical world. It, it's going to be random. It's going to be arbitrary. You can do everything that you think you should do, and that still might not be right. And because of that, Islamic thought really much uh, turned inward and became very much fascinated with trying to understand their spiritual texts. Well, that led to the decline in scientific reason, the want to explore and understand the natural world. At the same time, you have uh, the results of Christian philosophers um, Thomas Aquinas, and he kind of came to the conclusion that God was a rational being. And because of that, you saw the rise of the Catholic Church who started pushing out things like the Jesuit schools, um, which eventually led to, like, England, for example, had a very important idea on trying to understand the natural world to understand God. And you had things like Isaac Newton and Sir Francis Bacon, and then you had the birth of the scientific method, which really changes how you look at the world. Because if you're coming from the idea that God is rational, the universe is rational, I may not know what's going to happen, but because it exists within a rational system, I can learn to recognize the patterns. I can learn to understand and kind of control nature, and like mm-hmm. I can develop and grow. Mm-hmm. And the way I was thinking about because when you were telling me that, like look to nature, like if God is rational, look to nature mm-hmm. to see. And that reminded me of the um, Jane Goodall, who did all the work with the apes. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And very popular person came out, studied them immensely, mm-hmm. uh, how 
well they work together and more like a community yada 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 uh apparently she falsified really oh yeah, yeah okay i heard this and i also think i saw some um headlines articles about it right mm-hmm. uh but apparently they were very ruthless very like you know chimpanzee cultures like you've got your little family and squad but like if you come across somebody else mm-hmm. it's kind of on site like you fight really protect and it's kind of brutal in a way and i was just thinking about that and just with our instincts and um like most animals are probably going to be very self um focused right like i'm gonna hoard all my nuts do this and that and a big part of evolution for humans in general and just of just progressing is the sacrifice now more later you'll get more in return like i will share my meat that i hunted with mm-hmm. everybody right now and i'll call in my favorites or I'll, I'll save up so if there's a day where we don't hunt right so we kind of evolved past us and i just thought that oh where was i going with this that nature mm-hmm. it doesn't really have morality or like the morality through god and that when we started evolving and started placing our values on you know helping the community this and that and i i for some reason just think that i think that religion is a big decider or maybe cause of what our moral values are Mm -hmm. however i think it's like a placeholder in a way like yeah we're using religion to talk about our morality but whether you believe in god or not like i think religion in general is a placeholder for Mm -hmm. moral values i don't because if you believe in god or not right then religion wouldn't matter if religion doesn't exist it's kind of like you know how um marx i think it was marx it was like it's uh religion is oh the the opium of the the masses yeah it's kind of funny but in a way i think like just morality and wise like religion's a placeholder and Mm -hmm. eventually i think we're going to derive our morality from something else and maybe we've already adapted past that like we like religion was used to kind of give us a norm and now we don't morality speaking now we don't need religion anymore and our norm is just our norm and that's how we can live in a society because that society was kind of created through uh you know religious views or maybe there's something else that will replace it like i was trying to think i was like well could existentialism kind of move into this i was like maybe but it's not really about morality it's more of like finding and purpose and doing your thing i don't know if there's like morality really ties into existentialism but i thought it was an interesting little path i I was thinking down i think existentialism provides uh actually a lot of conflict points Mm -hmm. for morality Mm -hmm. definitely not on an individual basis because i think in its in some of its purer forms and like stated purpose of existentialism is to explicitly allow individuals to form their own moral systems Mm -hmm. On the other hand, as a way to form societal cohesion and societal moral systems that allow bigger social groups to not just function in the sense that they coexist, but mm-hmm. to come together with common goals and to minimize in-group fighting, yeah, I think the push for individualism, and it's in, let me just take a step back, it's individualism in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Because there's individualism that somehow needs to reconcile a lot of times this idea that people are solely products of their environment Mm -hmm. while also deeming that the way they view reality is 
instinctively inherently only through that individual's relative perception which in my mind you, you have some conflict here where you're saying somehow that people are a product of everything around them yet also the only thing that matters to what's around them is their own perceptions mm-hmm. which just it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to like work out well and I also think an important part of religion so existentialism right it kind of requires, at least in in my mind, like the West, the Christian sort of world, the Judeo-Christian world. Say that again? Existentialism involves, or is... Well, it requires this assumption that is baked into the Judeo-Christian Western world, okay. and that is the notion of the soul. Mm-hmm. And my view of the soul is that it is the thing that embodies what allows me to have will, it is the entity that experiences not just like visual and audio and sensory reality, but also emotional reality. It's the entity that actually experiences the love, the anger, the rage, right? A lot of things with the removal of God and religion has made that process entirely material. And in the process, in a purely material system, even if people don't want to consciously recognize it, or even if they like not that they want to even if they don't mm-hmm. I think there's a subconscious part of you that recognizes the obvious conclusion that if you're a pure material thing your ability to make choices is limited and with the inability to make choices the inability to do otherwise systems of morality require that ability to do otherwise you, you kind of get what I'm saying say it one more time I think so yeah. alright so like, if you want if you take like the completely like materialist uh, worldview mm-hmm. in which human beings are a the uh, I guess a different word the mental is a result of the physical okay right and if you take that to its like natural logical extreme you find that the material is all caused by causality mm-hmm. and you therefore are a product of the house you grew up in what others have done unto you because of those what others have done unto you you do unto others and so on and so forth kind of like um you drop a bouncy ball it bounces and it goes on it's predestined well predestined is the word right but it's causal path that it'll go on because all the other factors it has no ability to change its own direction of its own accord right what religion does particularly like christianity and judaism and islam to the extent they all have the same root in like the ancient uh books of Moses like the first four books of the Bible is that man has an aspect of divinity right we were made in the image of God and I would say I interpret that mainly to be is that we have a will and that will is an absolute like obviously like that's why people get addicted to things that's why people struggle to wake up in the morning and say this is what I'm going to do and then to do those things that they want to do because they get distracted they get angry like you have a will but it's not absolute I think religion advocates for the strengthening of that will by providing something for it to be like cast into. Towards. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is actually a cool segue because I did want to talk to you more about, because I know you had some points about the uh, Sam Harris video I sent you about free will versus determinism and his take on why there isn't free will. Because that was a very convincing thing for me. But I, I know, I forget exactly what you said you had a question about or kind of. Uh, a place of conflict that you'd like to rebuttal against him. I don't. I mean, I can pull. Oh no, I can't pull up the text. It's on my phone, which I'm recording. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I, I think I remember actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I was because I do. I God, I watched this last week right when I got up that, so I don't remember it perfectly. Mm-hmm. But my main question is: a lot of times, my questions of self awareness and my soul 
and like my ideas for how that's separate from the rest of my brain is that there seems to be all these the ideas pop into my head without my own accord right like i'd just be laying on the couch someday and i'd be like random memory of like hanging out with my friends at the pool right or i will think of an event and say something stupid at work like an annoying customer and i'm like god that guy was a dickhead and i can't really help that on the other hand there seems to be some part of me that can be a sorting mechanism right i can kind of sort through i can take apart those memories i can go okay why did it pop in this head why do i feel the way i'm feeling about this is it is this the right emotion i should be feeling and so that idea of a sorting mechanism that seems, again, that seems to be separate from the facts. I recognize that the, the thoughts pop into my head, yet those thoughts are still presented to something. Mm-hmm. That's something being me. In the same sense, like, sure, there's those arguments you hear about, like, well, if you're dreaming and it seems exactly the same as reality, which one is the real reality? And I'm like, okay, that's fair. But regardless of both those states, be it the state only within my head or the actual state of being like the real world, there still seems to be that observer. There still seems to be me. So anything that I'm experiencing in the dream, the feelings in the dream, the sensations in the dream, it's still being experienced by something that seems to be separate from my perceived body in the dream and my real body in the real world. And that ability to sort, that ability to exert will, to overcome the thoughts that put that are put into your head like so example like uh, i was a big swimmer and i would love to try to swim like 75 yards underwater without taking a breath or 100 yards underwater without taking a breath and it'd be super difficult and the hardest part was normally about about halfway or three quarters of the way there mm-hmm. is that like your lungs are screaming for air like your body's just doing this natural thing where it's like hey mate we need to breathe because like it's one of those things that you can't you literally can't hold yourself underwater to drown like your body won't let you it'll you'll force yourself up to the top but having to restrain that feeling for a moment Mm. having to like exert will over the natural impulses to do otherwise which is because that makes sense but one of the big arguments that he had in the video was why did you decide that day to try to swim that far underwater like there was a thought process of i've never done this before or maybe because i I don't know Mm -hmm. um of i've never done this before or i haven't done this in a while i want to see if i can still do it or i just want to do a challenge like sure you are kind of interrupting and forcing i guess your will in a sense Mm -hmm. over the homo homos homostasis um why do i not know this homeostasis yeah um like mechanisms of wanting to breathe however your thought process to do this and to stay underwater that he said is most likely determined because there was a thought process that you went through that you feel like you decided to do this Mm -hmm. if you go back in time that thought process is still going to be the same you're still going to bring up the same points most likely because we can't do this but you're probably still going to bring up the same points and you're probably going to feel like well we'll just say made the decision instead of saying feel like all the time but you Mm -hmm. made that decision but maybe making that decision was predetermined and so it was like and another point he had that i thought was really cool and that related to uh one of the uh psychiatric videos that i was watching right was that uh harris said like most of the time we don't choose to be angry in a reaction our emotions like if i'm talking to you you say some extremely messed up stuff to me that really makes me angry right like 
I didn't like anger just happens and then as soon as it happens our consciousness mm -hmm. sees it mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that emotion because he was trying to br break it down to like the most basic stuff uh for his argument like that's gonna happen there's probably not another another reality or another timeline where you say that and i don't get angry because all of our experiences as we know build us up to who we are right and another thing that i thought was interesting that kind of tied it in uh, was I was watching the videos and um, excuse me <laughs> um, and the psychiatrist was like when you get angry when you're feeling lonely when you have these emotions he said just sit with it he said imagine this in your head here's your consciousness and it's viewing you like mm -hmm. in a movie theater so just sit with those feelings understand <laughs> yeah sit with those feelings look and be like oh right now I'm getting very angry. Like he's trying to separate like the feelings from consciousness because those kind of just arise either as defense mechanisms or something. Right. And so, I don't know. I just thought because the real the the cool exercise was like close your eyes, mm -hmm. think of a movie, mm -hmm. think of three movies, right? Or you know from three movies, pick one type of thing. And he was like, um, like what did you pick? why did you pick it did you think of the second movie before you switched to a third movie why did you switch because like, literally i did the same thing i was thinking i was like oh right now inception like that's that's my movie that's the one i'm gonna pick mm -hmm. and then i was like thinking in my head i was like i also like interstellar and pulp fiction and i was like man pulp fiction was my favorite movie growing up not growing up but just like in the past few years like since i saw it yeah and i haven't watched it recently and i was like and i thought to myself like because that's like my og favorite movie i'm just gonna switch last minute and go pulp fiction right so like pulp fiction and i thought like i'm probably gonna have that same process again there's like sure i chose pulp fiction because i felt like i hadn't seen it in a while and i owed it to itself right so that's why i personally chose but i think my choice was predetermined like the thought process probably wouldn't change and then he also i'll let you go on in a minute sorry mm, no um, it was interesting and another thing was like he he talked about it. it was a pretty long exercise and then he said all right did any of you guys think of the wizard of oz like that's what you were talking about he said most likely not and if you did that's crazy but just go along with it <laughs> basically is what he said he said we all know the wizard of oz is a movie mm -hmm. he said but do you ever see a scenario like if I put you back in time, that you would somehow think of the Wizard of Oz, right, 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 like, right, like, and so if you don't have the choice to choose the Wizard of Oz, what choice is there? Like these are all just thinking and emotions, and mm -hmm. there's always a reason that our choices come up or our ideas of choices come up, and so most likely through our thought process, while we feel like we have free will, the choices are determined, and I thought that was really interesting. Because I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I think of that too. Like, my thought process. Why did I choose chocolate ice cream today instead of vanilla? Like, there's probably a reason, right? Right. Even on the most basic stuff. I don't know. What do you think? Um. So, I think there's there's an interesting game that people play with themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I always find to be, like, kind of really interesting thought experiment, right? So, you're have to explain that one to me. You're going to have to explain All right. So, Dr. Jekyll. Mm-hmm is an esteemed biologist an upstanding citizen it's, it's all based on a, it was a book and um came out 19th century england i want to say okay um and so during the day he's an esteemed he is just a good uh 
just like a, like a, a doctor who like does mm-hmm. house visits, treats people, well respected. Well, he ends up experimenting on himself, and he makes an experiment that at night he turns into Mister Hyde, where he becomes physically slightly different, but also like psychologically a whole different person. Becomes violent, becomes murderous, conniving, evil. The Hulk origin story, basically. Yeah, the Hulk. Yeah, the yeah. Hulk is based off this. Mm-hmm. But there's an interesting part where he recognizes Doctor Jekyll that he cannot control Mister Hyde. That being said, he can do things well, Jekyll, to make it more difficult for Mr. Hyde to commit damage. So he, like, locks himself in his house. He will, like, he physically restrains himself. So he can't, once he turns into Mr. Hyde, he can't do anything about it. In a similar way, I think in individual moments, individuals sometimes are kind of stuck with the tools they have on hand. On the other hand, your ability to look into the future and reasonably make guesses and assumptions in a way allows you to train yourself in a way that you can't do in any possible moment, right? So you were you were a karate guy. Yeah. You're a very good competitor, international, right? Gas me up, gas me up. Yeah, of course. So in, in any moment that you're actually in a fight, mm-hmm. you the actual thought process you take isn't very much a conscious one. Right, it's very much you are reaction, and you have uh, not to say program, but you have conditioned sense of responses to certain impulses you see. So a certain posture that the other person has, it means like a vulnerability. I see an opening, and we're close enough. I go like I'm right. I'm analyzing the entire body, looking for any twitches, any tells. Like yeah. But there's no conscious thought that goes into that. Like there, there is, but it's not in the same way that you would go. Well, what should I make for lunch today? Right. It's more like a heavily flow state in the moment, purely reactionary. Right, right, right. But the thing is, those the ability to do that at that state was a direct consequence of conscious action to spent training for those very moments. Right? Mm-hmm. So there the previous game had made conscious choices where he otherwise like could have he could have done other things with any moment of time. So maybe perhaps your individual thoughts on food may be a bit more disruptive. But more complex things require more than just a singular impulse to begin. There's a whole chain of impulses that you can construct Absolutely. that don't come into play unless you are in those certain situations. So once you're within those situations, your ability to actually make choices is limited. On the other hand, the possibilities that you have to make for situations are made by your previous choices. And this, in a way, can just seem like a very big way of making a circular argument going back to a further point to kind of push this down the line though his uh sam harris's whole argument that again then you're so just saying those thoughts are previous and that's the thing like but so then i would say the key point is is that maybe on the case the case of food like individual choices like that eh, perhaps not Uh, because i'm not really sitting in bed thinking what should i eat tomorrow what do i have on the other hand your ability to look reasonably enough into the future is that you can actually make reasonable decisions that if you do x y will happen and then because it has not happened yet you can actually make judgments on that you know what i'm saying yeah because there's certain true things right like should i drive 100 on a curve on a rainy day no <laughs> right but you you see you see what i'm trying to say kind of and no i i get your point and it's a valid point however i still think and I'll explain a little bit more mm-hmm. in a second that my decision to train for those situations like if you put me back mm-hmm. that's probably always going to happen like I'm always going to 
train for the fight. But then let me preface to you and to anybody who's still around and listening. I understand about myself that if I hear a great argument, I am in a way easily persuaded by sound arguments. So I listened to a video about why we don't have free will and why we do have determinism. Now if I go watch a video that rebuttals it, that says we do have free will, not determinism, I'm probably going to hop right back over. What I like in the way that I best formulate my own process is watching a debate because yep. it's in real time both sides are directly rebuttaling it's not like and if it's a good one mm-hmm. they're both honestly yeah. beyond just respectful but they're both honestly trying to build up their best possible case mm-hmm. and bring the best like assailments to the opposition's case they're not straw manning exactly they're yeah. it's it's an honest exercise which doesn't always mm-hmm. mean respectful but at least that right. that intellectual honesty is mm-hmm. the most important part so that's why like right now i, I might seem like oh yeah i'm a hardcore determinist this is but this and that but i just thought that was very interesting so i wanted to talk about it but i think that would lead me like um in the case of morality how would hypothetically us living in a deterministic society or just philosophy right mm-hmm if we somehow figured that out, how do you think views on morality would change? You know what I'm going to bring up, right? Maybe. All right. So there's... I'm not a big anime guy. But I, I do have quite a few that Psychopaths. I like. Psychopaths. And Psychopaths, real quick, quick little side thing. Mm-hmm. So it takes place in a futuristic Neo-Tokyo. Yeah. And on a lot of ways, it's the idealized form of the Chinese social credit system, right? Yeah, yeah. And so in this future, they have invented a way, think of like super MRIs, where you can read and we have completely mapped what the electrical impulses of the brain actually correlate to into physical actions. Mm-hmm. So you can tell if somebody's going to do something harmful or if they're predisposed to do yeah. something harmful. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's, what was that stupid Tom Cruise? Minority Report. It's like Minority Report, but it doesn't use the magic of peering into the future. It's just saying, well, this person is having the exact same brain chemistry and brain reactions as someone before they commit a murder. So it's reasonable to think that they are going to murder that person. So we have to arrest them before they can do it. And then we have to treat them in order to make them more uh, suitable. Subdued or something. One One of the big parts of morality in this system is that in the main crux of the show, because it follows like these detectives. I've watched like four episodes. Right. Yeah. Is that the main people who are part of the state government, right? They Their job really as investigators is not to investigate the crime, but to moderate these people who are latent criminals, who society already recognizes have the capability to commit crimes mm-hmm. so they can actually track the people down. Mm-hmm. So they actually track the criminals down. Because in order to track the criminal, it requires you in some form or fashion to think like them. You have to be able to inhabit the same sort of state of mind that they are so you can make sense of their choices and make reasonable predictions on what they're thinking. And so you run into the system of morality, though, where you have a lot of people, like this one of the characters in the show, who as a, as a child, before committing any crime, was already said, oh, yeah, no, you just have a certain physical condition that will make you a latent criminal. And this is your life for all of it. And the system has this weird conflict where the system works society is really well it's really peaceful the vast majority of people find jobs they feel fulfilled uh 
there is no such thing as locking your door and needing to learn how to defend yourself. People can still choose to do that, but there's never any fear that it will be required to be used in defense of yourself because that whole thing has been wiped down. That is allowed for a very great society to form. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you run to the thing if everyone is behaving as they should and adherent to a system, can you really claim any of the decisions they're making are moral because there's no actual... There, there is no otherwise. They're not inhabiting virtues because they are virtuous. They're inhabiting virtues because they are unable to do otherwise. Yeah. But how were you going to relate that back into how our view on morality would be if everything... Like, not if society forced morality onto us in a way, and, like, their like latent criminal status was based on, like, societal standards. But how do you think, like, for example, mm-hmm. say... It, we live in a deterministic universe. Right. There are still things that people do that our society deems immoral. Yeah. If they essentially don't have a choice... Is it really moral? How do you think... Good point. But how do you think... That would be a conversation to be had. But I think, let's say right mm. now... Uh, how would you think... Do you think people would... Do you think morality would collapse because so many people would um, try to advocate for, you know, they didn't do anything, it's not their fault, this and that? Or do you think um, our morality standards would still be high and if you people somebody, we're going to throw you in jail. If you do have some heinous stuff, we're going to kill you. Like, how do you think? So I think now it might change towards, let's forgive everybody, la di da <laughs> Well, I would say I don't need to offer my opinion on this. I, I'm, I don't mean this to start up a political conversation. So in our criminal justice system, mm-hmm. there's two main schools of thought, particularly when it comes to punishment. Mm-hmm. Should punishment be retributive or should po- uh, punishment seek to um, rehabilitate? Mm-hmm. If you come from the materialist, consequentialist, causal point of view of humanity, mm-hmm. you view people did bad things or immoral things because of consequence of something in their environment. Therefore, society's obligation should not to be to punish these individuals, right? It should be to rehabilitate them, to make them better, because we think the only reason why they did something wrong is because of other factors in their environment. Mm. So to answer your question, I think as a society, we, the point of view that comes from a purely causal universe mm. and pure causality for man is ready to lead us down that path as a society. In which we say we can forgive any act because we view the reasons why you committed that act to not be laid at the feet of the individual who actually committed it, but more on the feet of a broader system that might have failed him or her throughout their lives. That's interesting because I, 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 like, in a sense, overall, I kind of agree with you and just like rehabilitation in general. But even in my hypothetical, mm-hmm. there are just some things you can't forgive. No, there's not. Opinion. And so, like, I don't want to rehabilitate somebody who abused, in any number of ways, a child. Right. Regardless of if that was their set path or not. Which is, like, hard to say. Like, I'm saying that, and it, like, it kind of irks me in a way, you know? Um, but, like... Why well, do you throw in the fact that the majority of people who abuse children were... 
like more likely than not mm-hmm. overwhelmingly likely to also have been abused children themselves now this like, is getting into i'm kind of pivoting a little bit yeah this is getting into the hypothetical of how do you rehabilitate child predators i think from what i heard on a discussion one time i didn't look this up myself mm-hmm. but um i heard it uh in japan they do try to rehabilitate uh child predators and the way they do that in some cases is supplying them with um child material not like people like pornography videos yeah Uh, and um mm. and apparently they have to because it was actually mentioned in an ethical debate but it um they have to (laughs) obviously to show these things at they're not obviously recording new things. It's like stuff that's already there that they have the permission from the person who was abused to to view it. And then the guy was like, "Okay, this like sure you want to have like have their position this and that, but he's like, is it even ethical to like put them back in that situation? Like here is like this video that has ruined your childhood and your mentality. Can we show it to people in hopes that they kind of get over it?" In a way, and it was like he's like, "How is that ethical?" It's like, not. Like, well, well, so all right. So then, and then, but yeah, I, I'm going off topic a little bit. But I, so I guess going back mm-hmm. to the thing that we're saying, right? And this also comes back to the how we opened on religion, mm-hmm. right? Um, Immanuel Kant, he had his system of ethics called deontology, and it's really annoying. Because there are some things that seem to be deontological, which is to say that they are wrong regardless of your justification why. Mm-hmm. Right? They're, so he would say lying, for example. No matter what is wrong. And if it is wrong, you should not do it. Well, then you run into the, the classic argument against anyone who's a deontological, and that is, so say you live in uh, 1940s Poland, and a SS officer comes to the door and knocks on the door and says... Do you have any Jews that you are hiding? Kant would say it is morally wrong to say, to lie and say, no, I do not want you to. If you are Harvard, yeah. And something about that seems so inherently wrong Mm -hmm. to even like the most layman, someone who doesn't really spend time thinking about ethics. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, though, there seems to be things that are very deontological. What should we, is it, is there ever a situation? Or it's justifiable to abuse children. No. No. Like, should people be able to be forgiven for that? You're like, I don't want to. I'm not going to make that choice because I couldn't. <laughs> right. But then the, the point is, when you, when you have a systems in place as we do, mm-hmm. that primarily views people as product of their environments and primary cause of things where they're not necessarily in charge of their own thoughts, mm-hmm. then you're you really do not have any ethical justification to punish anyone for anything. And on the other hand, and it seems so, it seems so amazingly true that that can't entirely be true because as a person, right, I've, I've, I've never murdered or abused anyone. Thank you for letting us know. Uh, on the other hand, have mm-hmm. there been times where I've been a dickhead and I'm aware I'm being a dickhead and I'm doing it just because I want the other person to feel bad even though I know it's wrong? Yes. Do I... Do I recognize that's not what I should do? Yes. Do I still do it anyways? Yes. And in those situations, other times where I've been like, where I've been hit, or there's been an exchange of words, I'm like, that really hurt. I'm like, I had that coming. 
And you're like, that doesn't seem to mold. Like, the only way that that can make sense is in the fact that I take the recollection that I, I chose to do that. I knew I shouldn't have, but I did so anyways. And if we're willing to extend that to, like, very small, minute things, like interactions between peers and friends, it would seem strange to me to obfuscate that same line of reasoning when we extend it to uh, demonstrably more heinous acts, such as, like, murder or theft or rape or any number of things where there's an effort to try to prescribe um, rehabilitation because rehabilitation implies implicitly it's the same thing twice implicitly means <laughs> implies implicitly <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that you kind of went going but uh... um, <laughs> like it, it's implicit the fact that the person did that not of their own accord right. and you're just like that's but that's a, that's a big religious thing because those are two they require you to view the universe fundamentally differently mm. and you either view it as people are free for their actions and therefore they're responsible for what they've done and if people are responsible for what they've done then it makes sense to punish people for doing the wrong thing mm. or we view people aren't really free to choose what they do so you shouldn't really punish them you should try to make them better mm. in whichever moral or ethical framework that leads you to which is kind of interesting because i think i think i'm on topic with you but i'm gonna switch up mm-hmm. optics just a little bit because it's all came to very related subjects mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah um but i uh, honestly pause from the conversation my worry is that like we're talking we're making all these pivots and the people watching are like man they didn't finish that point or something but i think That's we're fair. all in the same realm oh yeah but anyway um talking about um people are products of their decisions i kind of just came to me that say we are in a deterministic world universe Oh, I think we are. Yeah, yeah. Right. And um, we should still hold people responsible for their actions, even if it's like, well, he only murdered that. It's a little cheesy, but like, he only murdered that person because it's a determinism world he couldn't have changed. Why are you punishing him? Or like, why are you trying to do this? But then you have to think. Okay, for the sake of simple arguments, it's not your fault. Right? We're going to say that. Mm-hmm. So why am I punishing him? Why am I taking him off the streets? Why are we, like, executing certain people? Right. Because if we allow that to be okay, they're most likely going to have a negative impact on somebody, and their kid, therefore, who lives in a deterministic society, is going to be in a worse position and maybe perpetuate that. Right? So it's not like society's going to be fine, our morality's to in check, we're going to rehabilitate everybody. Not punishing types of crime in a deterministic world would lead to collapse right but then you calls in the question if you're in a deterministic world what input do you actually have on the system in which society has to punish people uh, you're good <laughs> right you're right good. so, so and, and again because I, I asked how we would react but if we're living in a deterministic universe it's right it's already determined how we would react. and so okay, and, and so and again going going back to the whole this the, how we started again with religion this this whole thing the whole point so kierkegaard Soren Kierkegaard, he was a Danish philosopher, one of the first existentialists. You would probably actually like a lot of his work because his, well, he was an existentialist and he was also a Christian philosopher. And his existentialism really has been run and like gone very far. And in fact, a lot of the origins for like queer theory and feminist theory, they actually bite a lot of, of Kierkegaard's existentialism. I can't speak so much on that. I'm not super familiar with it. But he had is one of his most famous concepts is this idea of leap of faith 
And that is when it comes to particularly God and his extension of God, I would say the most important extension of believing that God is believing in the soul, mm-hmm. is that it doesn't make sense, my guy. Like, there is no real valid, like, scientific in the sense. Like, there is no measurable, quantifiable way that I can measure your will. On the other hand, you just kind of have to take that blind leap of faith, that step into the abyss, and find the ground that is there, and to continue to grow in it. So, when, in every conceivable way and this was a realization that happened as soon as newton figured out and had like put down his laws of motion every action is opposite equal reaction so the universe is a closed system doesn't really matter what started once it started we're all within the closed system the system is going to carry on its pattern that is not predetermined to but unless acted upon an outside force will continue in the trend of right and that very notion you're like oh fuck i'm a human being I exist within the universe. Mm-hmm. So you, you almost need to have the ability to go, well, yes, I am. I am also not. And even though you can't really explain that physically, like obviously I think experientially, like just the way you even phrase that question, mm-hmm. like how, what should we do as a society in a determinist world? Like how should we do that? Because that it's just inherently the way you perceive the universe and the way you perceive thoughts is that you perceive yourself as somehow separate from it or at least some part of you separate from the material well it might not be the realistic case our consciousness or soul does view it that way well right because it couldn't function in any other way so there seems to be there doesn't seem to be a scientific argument in the sense of like scientific laws and mathematically proven formulas on the other way on the other hand if it doesn't behave in some sort of fashion where I have will to do otherwise, functionally it doesn't work. And then I guess you have two schools of thought. You can have the people who kind of go, um, well, you can just accept that's an illusion and pretend with it. Or you have, I guess, the more religious theistic responses. Be like, no, I believe in God. It doesn't have to be like the Judeo-Christian one uh-huh. or even all that. But like, I have a soul and I have free will. And you can make the argument that they're both mm, interchangeable. I would say the first one uh, literally is, I think, a big reason why so many people are depressed because telling you can't just tell yourself to believe something that you recognize as being a lie, mm-hmm. right? Whereas the other approach says, I need to accept something that I don't fully understand, but I can hold it to be true. Mm-hmm. The other one tells you to, em- to embrace the thing you know can't be true, which I think it, it's a small distinction but it's one of those small decisions that has a lot of consequences to your broader view of life and how everything interacts with each other. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if there will ever be an answer, but it's a good thought experiment. Oh, it, it's super it's fun. Good. Like, yeah, it's just so, I like this, like exploring, I don't know, morality. Like I was telling Paul earlier that, um, well, this little morality topic and kind of religious spiritual topic came from the fact that like I because I thought the question that I posed to you guys at the beginning of like how has religion affected societal morality like if a different religion was more popular that was like nothing like we've seen before it's a, a religion of stark individualism like get ahead Machiavellianism somehow that became a very popular religion like that would influence all the societies and how they would grow and then you know it might put us on a whole different path but i i would love to 
if I have the time and the will to, um, like read about how society has evolved from way back and the influence and evolution of religion and see how they kind of affect each other and see if there's something there. Because there probably isn't. I could probably just watch a YouTube video about it, but I'd also like to read about it. <laughs> um, in, in, in that vein, actually, this is something I um, learned a couple weeks ago from a YouTube video. On, it was on history overall, but more like the mm-hmm. Catholic Church. And there are certain things, like not, not all decisions and policies are created equal, right? Because some are way more impactful than others because they redefine the ground we stand on. Mm-hmm. One of the ones that the Catholic Church did that I had never thought about because the system that they created because of the decision is one that we've all grown up in for hundreds of years. What they did is that Dark Age or Middle Ages Europe was very much a clan-based area, right? So you had towns that were really just a mix of like first to fourth cousins. It was very common to have marriage in between families to maintain the clan. Okay. What the church did is that they stopped recognizing clans and started recognizing individuals and therefore their families. So instead of being like the my the patriarch of my family being my second uncle, mm-hmm. right, and then therefore I am viewed through the lens of belonging to my second uncle and as a member of this clan. The church is like, no, nah, you're your own individual. Mm-hmm. And that that little distinction led to the kind of ending of giant clan base, like the family crests and all those kind of went away. Obviously still exists for the European aristocracy. But for like the common peasant to like mm-hmm. middle class individual throughout Europe, they're like, no, no, wait. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be determined by my family. I'm going to – and it, it wasn't even a big thing. It was just how the church started addressing people. Mm-hmm. If they went from addressing the clans to addressing the individual. Mm-hmm. I forgot where the hell, where the hell I was going with that. Oh no! Oh no! You're uh, talking about the history of religion. Yeah, yeah. History. So, so is like on on a whole thing, right? The way that the church just decided to view individuals mm. was a big push that kind of moved Europe out of the feudal system mm-hmm. into the modern era. Into like you had the um, we had the Renaissance. You also had the Dutch Renaissance, in particular, the Dutch and like North German Renaissance was really pushed. By the Pope making this decision to recognize individuals, giving people more freedom and like breadth to make their own decisions. But that's just like one of those small things that like I I had never heard about. Right. And yeah. I like I went to like a parochial school for like elementary through uh, uh, from kindergarten through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. There's nothing some brought up like and it's just mm, there's not enough thought. That's actually placed on the massive impact religion has had, and I think part of that is because the the rise. I wouldn't. I don't even use the term atheist because, like, atheist. I feel like still implies that like you're saying you don't believe in a god, but you still have a concept of god. I would use almost the term irreligious, where these entire religious concepts aren't even really thought about. There's in a different. Lives. There's a different. Um, there's a term for that. It's like not atheism, but it's like. Um, starts with an a as well i think agnostic agnostic right is that what it means or is that what you're agnostic is people who are not sure and i would say again and i would say again i would i would differentiate even from agnostic because not like agnostic still implies that you've given it thought okay right atheist is like you've given it thought and you decided no okay and agnostic is like you've thought about it and you're not really sure where i would say irreligiousness probably isn't what the word actually means but for, for our uses here okay. today yeah um it, it'll be individuals who never considered religion at all okay 
and not just in the sense of God, but all those other important thoughts that come from it. So, like, why did people commit murder? And you have, like, the story of, like, resentment from uh, Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do people interact and, like, struggle and not know how to communicate with each other? Right? The Tower of Babel. And you're like, really, the point of Tower of Babel is that, like, humanity can accomplish a lot. But because we want to do things our own way and the way we want to do our own, like, we shape language to fulfill our own aims has like makes that impossible and you're like okay so like, a very useful allegorical stories for explaining ideas that really are nested within the broader thing of religion that if you're you're religious you just don't think about yeah i don't know like religion is actually like as somebody who's not extremely religious mm-hmm. the history of religion and its influence and everything is kind of crazy like just it's super interesting i love it i love reading about it and just learning about it stuff's so fun can you can you hear me my hello hello all right we might cut that out um anyway my my little audio cues weren't popping up when i was talking but uh we're good now Uh, what was i saying oh yeah just uh, religion in general like all types of religion christianity islam like just the more spiritual like buddhism and uh i just love reading about it learning more because i feel like there's so much meaning because this kind of goes back to the term the collective consciousness mm-hmm. well we have our own individual consciousness but there is a collective consciousness that everybody shares from everybody else's experience it's not like i'm in indiana paul's in chicago paul gets punched and i'm like oh no he got punched it's in my consciousness right it's like you don't feel those <laughs> no shit no, sorry sorry your voodoo doll's not working Fuck. but anyway <laughs> anyway um just as society goes Mm -hmm. i think we all kind of share the same views that we might not have experienced ourselves just through stuff and it's crazy like so many things through not even really established like current religions like you have a lot of native american not native just indian Mm -hmm. in general um some native american and just other very old religions or I guess we'll call it religions uh in the past they all kind of share a lot of things a lot of imagery oh yeah i was like you guys are on the other side of the world there's a lot of similarities here like it's kind of crazy like there's there's got to be something i might not be super like i know what religion is right but in a way i'm spiritual Mm -hmm. like i there's something else i think beyond our either dimensions or realm there's i feel like there's something there has to be oh yeah i i i think so because mm-hmm. i would say all right so to, to use christianity because that's the one i'm most first in right mm-hmm. my interpretation of the story of the garden of eden mm-hmm. is the story and this this is my interpretation i didn't come up with this there are much smarter people who make this much better <laughs> right um is that it's really the story of mankind becoming self-aware mm-hmm. and self-awareness and this one I'm just going to totally bite off Dr. Uh, Jordan Peterson, is the idea that I recognize what I'm scared of and what can hurt me. But in that moment, I recognize that Gabe's also a person. That means Gabe has those same insecurities. I'm never insecure. Don't listen to him. Never. Not <laughs> once. Not not even I, a little. All right, continue that. Continue. He's mad. I have a better beard. Um, False. It, in... In that line of self-awareness, there is, you know, in, for lack of a better word, there's an alienation that occurs. 
in which you do not fully recognize yourself as yourself. You recognize there's some separation between you and your body, so to speak, right? You're not just the dog who does like what its instincts tell it to do. Right. You have right. the ability to go, well, I could do that, but, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there's, I think every religion really has a point, right? So in like Greek mythology, you have Prometheus steals fire to give to mankind, right? Um, Islam obviously still has a Christianity one. Um, I know, oh, I can't, I, I know Buddhism, no, yes, Bo- Hinduism also has similar creation stories in which there's some story in which somehow man gets the ability to become self-aware. Right. And they all use different allegorical things. Like in, mm-hmm. it was the fruit in the Garden of Eden, it was fire for the Greeks and Romans, right. it was whatever for uh, the Hindus. Mm-hmm. But in all of them, there's this idea that man has reached a point where we are now separate from just the animal. I think there's, from there, you get a lot of disagreements as to why that happened. Mm, what exactly it is. What it is. Mm. What is the soul? Because like, the Buddhists kind of had the view of the soul. And that's actually becoming... Be careful. I'll get Sasha to fact check you. Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Keep going. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. Where they view the soul, and at least the individual, as kind of a complete illusory... Illusory? Uh, illusion. Allu- okay. Illusion. I was like, illusion. 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 Yeah. In reality, like, that isn't to say that you don't have a soul, but to think that your soul is an individual part that is true only to you and is not somehow connected with kind of like the same thing, like a, a broader collective soul of not just individuals, but the whole universe. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas, like, Christianity very much says, no, 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 no. You have a soul. That soul is you. Right? And that, that individual. It's very important to it. In fact, the soul would not exist without the individual and the individual without the soul. Whereas a lot of times in like Buddhism, at least from my understanding, is actually coming to terms with the fact that the individual soul, as we perceive, is not actually an individual but a part of a greater whole. But because of those distinctions, and again, it doesn't really seem small. All right, we still have a soul. We're still self-aware. But that little distinction of it being an individual... Mm-hmm. Versus it being a, a or individual that's part of a bigger collective leads to radically different ways of how people should behave and what virtues they should seek to like go after. Right, right. And there's conflict, at least religious conflict to an extent, happens because you only there's only so much areas where they both can exist when it comes to like running a society in the same area, right? There are there are contradictions, and I, I think one of the one of the things that we've run into with religion is that it still has a very high value, but because then this isn't like a critique or anything, but just as a matter of fact of how multi ethnic and multicultural the world has become, mm-hmm. right? Not just not just in America, not just Europe, but just like in Japan, there's a whole bunch of people from all over the world. And, who all have their own views, it's become very difficult to create broader societal rules based on religious beliefs because the end result of enforcing religious or theological beliefs is that that, that's going to just, you're going to have conflict. Right. It's like we need the subtle influence, but it can't be direct. It can't be a direct influence. It has to be kind of like a guiding 
thing because it's just another thing of like forcing your values everybody's going to be different not everybody's going to subscribe to the same religion so when you start forcing values and behaviors on people um that's where problems go but yeah like we needed to kind of subtly guide our decision making and hopefully the the one that is the most popular is the one that uh, is also good, <laughs> right? Because you get up. Well, and, and so I think this is this is a difficult conversation about value systems mm-hmm. in general, and also one where I'm going to attempt to make an argument that, in its own right, would be hard to ever validate, which calls into question why would you even bring it up then? Because mental games are good. Because mental games are good. Yep. And it would seem to me that all human beings are like equal in the sense like unlike broad distribution of like populations right mm-hmm. you're, you're whites blacks asians right like intellectually if you provided them a similar environment the average person would perform the same you know what i'm saying yeah but there's no distinctive okay. on the other hand it seems to me that value systems because of the way they in a sense train people to behave and give them a set of rules for how to interact with both others and their environment will lead to radically different successful systems and as much as christianity and i had like a falling out for it and i'm kind of like rediscovering again the system at which christianity has created for organizing a society seems to have done better than like any other system in the ability for allowing for group cohesion because like the america is an empire is a continent spanning empire we're a country but like we still have somehow by being based in the christian system have maintained individual liberty over a four thousand mile expanse in government right Whereas you can you can make the arguments like Confucius and like Eastern thinking has allowed for very stable civilizations for thousands of years. Like China has is the most readily and con- consistently inhabited part of the world for civilizations, but the system that they created, while effective, does not at all really adhere to the inherent value of the individual. Absolutely not. Yeah. So you run in, and again, it's very, it's very, it's very easy to shut this sort of argument down because you just go, well, okay, well, Paul, well, you grew up in a Christian Western-based society, so of course you have an inherent bias to thinking that this is the correct one, which is understandable. Which is understandable. Like, everybody's going to have biases. Right? right. On the other hand, like even even within America, right? There's so this is something about colonization. This may seem a bit off topic, but it'll, it'll get back to it, right? Okay. There's a big difference between say America and Mexico, right? Part of that big reason, it doesn't seem to make sense why America is the wealthier country. Mexico was settled 100 years before us. They had a lot more immigrants come in. At the time when Mexico was being founded, Spain was the global hegemon that had dominated the majority of Europe, had the largest navy by like multiple uh, exponentials the size of every other European nation. Mm-hmm. But you look at the philosophy that guided the colonization. The majority of people who moved to Mexico were single men. Uh, the inherent purpose was inherently exploitative. Exploitative. It was to get the raw resources, the gold, the silver, the cash crops, send them back to Europe to be refined. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at North America, you look at New England and the and like the Virginia and Pennsylvania colonies. The majority of people who moved there were already established families. They were fleeing too. They weren't just trying to get resources. They well, were trying to. That's that one's that one's kind of a myth. Like Jamestown. Right, educate me. The majority of people who showed up in Jamestown were actually gemsmiths, jewelers, blacksmiths. So there was 
there was quite an impression, at least in some of the American colonies, that they could go over there and just exploit the land as the Spanish had done. Okay. They ran in and realized there weren't no, there weren't no, there were not any major like continent-spanning empires such as the Aztec or the Inca, and they were actually majority of them died within the first year because they weren't actually farmers. They weren't. That is true. Yeah, when winter hit. Well, winter hit, and it was well, something it, they weren't prepared their lives. <laughs> and so, because a lot of the American lead, I and mean, you can even see this divide even deeper in America, right? And this is something I just finished in a book I was reading. New England settled families who had a very strong community structure, Puritan to the point where they were witch burning and like kind of Spanish Inquisition-y, even though they were Protestants and were right. quote unquote fleeing mm-hmm. religious persecution. Uh, that's, but that's a whole different commentary you can make about slave societies having revolutions and just becoming a different type of slave society. Neither here nor there. <laughs> different podcast. Different podcast. Different, different podcast. Whereas, like, the South, their sort of values were very much like, we're just going to uh, enslave. Like, they had this idea of, like, the Roman and Greek Republic where you had patricians and you had slaves. And so you were either a citizen and, like, the noble higher-born man or you were a slave. And... Particularly, this took on a racial impetus in America. But it also had a heavy thing where it wasn't just blacks were viewed as subhuman. They were definitely viewed as more subhuman than, say, the peasant rural white folk. Mm-hmm. But just that whole structure of building society. Like, the South is rich in natural resources, great farmland. But then the system of ethics and morality they built had made it less competitive. Eventually, of New England who built families and developing the community for the sake of the community and for the sake of like the community's children so they could build better. So these entire systems that we create, well, yeah, you make the argument that I'm biased onto which the one I was born into, but the one in the system I was born into was one that encourages the formation of families, the formation of the rights of the individual, the formation of private enterprise and private property, which are all really good bulwarks from being exploited by either the government or other people yeah exactly yep and i'm like so you can say they're all relative and you can say it's a bias but i'm like also like people will abuse people if given the opportunity yeah that's something if we want to transition maybe. sure i'm not sure do you think i th- i think you and i are going to be in agreement on this but um human beings aren't rational right they're irrational like yes I I, I, hmm. I think it was either it might have been Dostoevsky, mm-hmm. but I forget or Solzhenitsyn, one of the amazing Russian philosophers, uh, kind of just talked about that <laughs> men aren't rational beings because if you try to tell us we're a rational being, we're gonna purposely be irrational. <laughs> like it was it, that's yeah. boiling it down a lot. It was like if we're saying that men, if we want to create a utopia. Mm-hmm. Where everything is perfect, mm-hmm. man will lash out for trying. What did, what was the analogy? He said like men aren't piano keys; you can't just play them. Right. Like they're gonna lash out even if it's against their better judgment, just because feeling like a cog in the system is like not fulfilling. Have you have, and, you, ever, uh, have you ever heard of the French word inu? No. So French has a whole bunch of words that only really makes sense in French. And Inu is one of those words that does not have an English counterpart anywhere near it. Okay. But the basic idea is being sick of a good thing. Right? Those moments when your life's going well, everything's going as it should be, mm. 
like, and you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you you hate it. You just you the monotony and everything. The, not even that it's monotonous. It's just you're you're bored, and like you know it's the right thing. You know you you know it's like this is this is as it should be. Mm-hmm. Is it? Do you think like um, there's nothing to work for? Right? There's no new challenge to overcome. You're kind of just everything's going fine. So, or like, why do you think that is? I think. I think men, and I, I use men in the more gender term particularly, I would say are primarily beasts of burden. I think there's a certain aspect, so I use a beast of burden to explain that, right? Like horses are animals that you need to put a weight on them and they need to work. Otherwise, they die, they become depressed, and they don't live healthy lives. Like certain animals that we have literally bred to the point where if they are not doing physical labor, mm-hmm. they are not being healthy. I would say man is in a similar fashion. I don't think that literally means people need to go pick up heavy things and carry them. <laughs> and move them. Like, and move Pick them. up stones. Pick up stones. Well, it I, will make you happy. <laughs> I, to an extent it does, though. I think like, a lot of like the big, like especially you see on social media and like especially like, young men, just like going to the gym a lot, mm-hmm. is that I think your little monkey brain actually really likes that. And, and, and it's beyond just physical work, but the fact that like, you are being a post. There's something working against you that you must overcome allows for a sense of um, purpose and accomplishment that you don't get from taking the easy path or a smooth path. Mm-hmm. That's true. I agree. I feel like there's, like you said, yeah, we need something to overcome to just keep us going. As funny as that sounds, like a utopia may not be <laughs> like a utopia for some people. Oh right, mm-hmm. because there, there's that there's that human aspect to, um, and you see a lot of times like it's like one of those like stupid tropes in like alien invasion movies, where it's like against all the odds like, or like what or even like like war movies and they're always kind of sap and they're like why why are you fighting why won't you just give up and it's like that notion like I'm doing it for my family or I'm doing it for freedom or I'm doing it. For something beyond yourself mm-hmm. in which like yeah you know what you're offering me a very good thing but seeing as I don't have to do anything for it you don't get that sense of ownership yeah that's true how did we get on this topic again um, I forgot I mean, it's not a bad topic but I was just thinking I was like wait were we supposed to connect this into something <laughs> uh, systems of morality value systems right, we, I feel like we transitioned um I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's just good talk anyway. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I love considering all these things. I mean, we'll never find the right answer. We'll never find an answer everybody agrees on. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the oh. fun in it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So this was actually something that I was talking to my mutual buddy, Matt, the other day. And I think this is, and I haven't really seen this talked about a lot, but a useful way of conceptualizing information. So I want everyone to kind of like imagine the the light spectrum, okay. right? And you have television rays on one end, and then you have gamma rays on the other. Uh-huh. Human beings see visible light, which is a really small, small spectrum. Yeah. Granted, within that small spectrum, there is an infinite amount of variability. Uh-huh. Right? There is an infinite amount of shades of colors and slight, minute differences that you can make between each one. I think systems of value 
and the way they should be conceptualized exists in a very similar sort of uh, representation mm -hmm. where you have every possible value system makes up the whole spectrum. I would say there are a set of better options that exist in a similar fashion within, in the same way the visible light spectrum exists in the broader electromagnetic spectrum, right? So within, like, say, say there's, like, certain values, and these values can contradict, right? Because, like, individualism is important, but still is, like, a collectivism or a community, communitarianism where you're like, yeah, you got to sacrifice what you do for yourself for the good of, say, your family or for your community, for your country, Right? And you have also things like freedom of speech because it's really important that you can express your ideas. On the other hand, like you shouldn't just be a dickhead and purposely say things to hurt people. <laughs> not even for the not even necessarily for the argument that it's bad, mm -hmm. but because it's not effective. And so when I use that idea that there's a spectrum and less good ideas exist, I don't mean that as like a moral argument, but as in like these allow for effective, successful societies. Right. Right. And I think within that spectrum, much like the visible light, you can have an infinite amount of variability while also getting rid of like an infinite, a greater infinite amount of like bad ideas. So like I, I find I find frustrating with them like, oh, everyone has a different perspective. Like everyone's perspective is useful. I'm like, no, no, no. Because like, and then again, I'm, and I'm not making a claim that I know exactly where those lines are that would divide up the spectrum. We're just raging against postmodern thinking. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> is it art? No, it isn't. It hasn't been well, art since neoclassicalism. I don't know if I maybe used this improperly, but I think one of the... Um, what did I just say? The Postmodern thinking? Postmodern, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said neo, and I was like, neo-modern? That's not it, but postmodern. Um, something that I thought I heard, or just postmodern is postmodern is very broad. It can be applied to all aspects. But one of the things it has, I think, recently been applied to is validating everybody's idea as equal. Yeah, no, because it's their experience. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, no. I, that's that's I. Well, and here's no. the thing: <laughs> what what gets me is that. But there's also a weird thing where there are a lot of times there's a refusal to call a spade a spade. Like, I, I no, I'm triggered now. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> all right, we won't go. We won't go. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, yeah. No, no. Like another another conversation. For a, a, another a different podcast. podcast. I guess. I guess real quickly. Um, Yes, obviously, the way you view yourself is important. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, like, so, and this, and this goes less. Then here's the thing. Here's the thing. I do not blame individuals who can get what they want by simply claiming this is how they see it, and therefore you should see it too. I actually have zero malice towards them. Because I do not view, view them responsible for the ensuing societal ills that befell, like that sort of thinking. The real issue is, is that individuals have lost the capability in a lot of ways to go, I simply do not care. Right? So if an individual right wants to say, I, I won't give a specific example because I don't want to step on anyone's toes. It doesn't really matter. You can use your imagination. Maybe attack helicopters if you get the reference. <laughs> Demonetize. Continue. <laughs> um, 
Personally, I do not care if you think that. That is your uh, prerogative. Yep. And I do not think I have the right to tell you how you should view yourself and force it upon you in the same way I expect the same to be extended to me. On the other hand, I do not need to validate that. That doesn't mean I have a right to force you to think otherwise, but that does also mean I do not have to agree with you and I can simply go, no. Right, yeah, that's like, at the end of the day, that's one of the big problems. It's like, people can't, people, I feel like, do not understand that you can agree to disagree and that's okay. As long as you respect each other, respect opinions, understand Mm -hmm. that you're not going to be on the same side on this issue, but I'm still going to be your friend because I know you're not a horrible person, right? Like... We don't do that anymore. It's kind of scary. <laughs> well, and I, and I'm not saying this just to undermine what you just said, mm-hmm. but I think there's a point where, like, I don't need everyone to be my friend. No, oh, yeah, I know. right. You know what I'm saying? And again, that does, and again, that doesn't because I think there's a lot of times it becomes a very black one. I think, well, if you're not my friend, then you're my enemy. Like, no, like, I don't want to eat with you. On the other hand, I don't want to see you starve. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want you sitting at my table. But if you're at your own table doing your own thing, do you? Do you? Right. Right. And like one one slightly related, and this is just a general statement. If someone makes eye contact with you and nods and like it is acknowledging your presence, you are obligated as a person to also acknowledge their presence. That is all. <laughs> Speak anyway. when you're spoken to. <laughs> That's probably some great wisdom to end off on. I think we had a good conversation. Oh, we really talked about um a lot of morality, history, philosophy, and like we're kind of transitioning into like sort of postmodern stuff, which is a great topic, but I don't know if we really have the time today. The sun is going down. I'm not sure how the exposure has changed from start to finish, but I'm sure this was you. a good hour plus conversation. I want to thank Paul so much for hopping on here. I hope y'all enjoyed and you stayed to the end. And yeah, let me know what you guys want me to talk about or research. If not, I'm just going to keep doing random stuff that I find interesting. Uh, I know another buddy of mine, Matt, he he was like, <gasps> Paul's doing a podcast with you. I'm not there, bro. I'm driving down next weekend. We're going to do it. Now, I, he's not coming down because I'm not going to be here next weekend. But we got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We got plenty of people who are interested, and I love the support so far. I know some of my girlfriend's friends are like, yo, when's Gabe's podcast coming up? Like, I was like, oh, people be asking about this. you have this. a girlfriend? No, if you couldn't tell. You obviously didn't watch my second most recent podcast, Paul. Thank you very much. That's where I introduced my girlfriend. Um, Anyway, but yeah, all right. (laughs) Enjoy your night, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.